If you loved Japanese July and why in God's name did you, you are going to love Serial Killer September. Uh, For the next four weeks, we are going to look at four different horrible serial killers and I am way more excited for this than I absolutely should be. Um, this first one is a doozy. Uh, it is the story of the Candyman, Dean Coral, this week on Our Weird World. Our Weird World. Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and uh, episode 25. We are cruising right along a quarter of the way to the 100 mark. If I can get to 100 episodes, that'd be pretty sweet. Like, I'll do something fun. Like, I'll just get, I'll just get super drunk. That'd be, that'd be fun for everyone. So, um, (laughs) just do the episode drunk. Um, so yeah, we're starting Serial Killer September, um, Next four weeks gonna be a lot of a lot of murdering, a lot of murdering on on this uh, show. And so, like I said, we're starting with uh, the Candyman Dean Coral, and this is a different kind of Candyman, uh, not not the movie about the black Candyman killer guy that I don't you know whatever it was a movie, um, and also not the Sammy Davis Jr. Candyman song. Um, I'm not going to do a Sammy Davis Jr. impression. That'd be weird. But no, this Candyman, um, kind of the inspiration for the whole, you know, don't take candy from strangers sort of warning. Um, you know, if you ever kind of wondered where that came from, it probably started with this guy. So uh, let's let's dive in. Dean Coral was born in Fort Wayne, Indiana on Christmas Eve, 1939. Uh, but when he was a child, uh, his family moved down to Houston, Texas and started a candy company. And for the first 18 years of his life, everything was great. Totally normal. Nothing weird going on there, which is, you know, um, I guess a little strange for these types of stories. Usually serial killers have really tough childhoods. Uh, but by all accounts, Dean's childhood was was all right. Um, it got, it got strange when Dean went off to join the army and when he found himself kind of surrounded by young, good looking, you know, kind of muscly dudes, uh, Dean realized like, like I, I've got a sneeze right now. That's what he realized. Huh? I'm going to fight it. I'm not even going to edit this out. Like this is, ah, that's real. All right. I think I fought it off anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Dean realized he was gay. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's weird. For, I don't know why I'm laughing. Um, I just wrecked the entire flow of the show. All right, let's let's get back into it. So Dean's gay. That's where we're at right now. Um, after an honorable discharge from the army, Dean returned to Houston and worked for his family's candy company. Um, by then, it was pretty obvious, though, to everybody that Dean was gay, but no one in his family really wanted to acknowledge it because being gay in Texas in the 1960s was probably worse than being black in Texas in the 1960s, if we're being honest. Um, <laughs> Dean's parents ultimately ended up getting divorced. The candy company was split in two and kind of began competing with each other, which, you know, who knew that there was so much candy competition in the 1960s? 
But Dean chose to stay with his mom uh, and worked long hours to just help her company grow and compete against his dad's company. And God dang it, I've got to sneeze again. This is really bad. Why are my allergies so bad? And I'm fighting it off again. And we're good. All right. In 1967, I'm sorry, in 1967, 30-year-old Dean met David Brooks, who was just a dopey-looking 12-year-old that was constantly made fun of uh, by other kids at school for just being a dopey-looking 12-year-old. But Dean didn't mind, though, and the two became best friends. And they got so close that Dean, and, and I want to make sure that you get this arrangement very clear, Dean began giving David money and gifts for the privilege of giving David a mouth hug. All right. So let's, let's just make sure we get this. All right. David, a 12 year old boy was pretty much just getting everything in this deal. All right. So getting, getting, you know, you know, getting his Bobo honked by a 30 year old and he's getting money and gifts to, let Dean Coral do this to him. All right. Like that is a level of prostitution that I think we can all aspire to be at some point. No, probably not. Anyway, uh, the candy company unfortunately ended up closing down and Dean's family moved off to Colorado. Uh, However, Dean decided to stay back in Houston and took a job as an electrician where he spent the rest of his free time giving mouth hugs to to more little boys, which, I mean, (laughs) that's that's what anyone would do in that situation, right? No, no, probably not. Um, In 1970, Dean befriended another teenager named Elmer Henley. And along with David, the three spent time in one of Houston's poorer neighborhoods, kidnapping kids with the promise of free candy and then subsequently murdering them because obviously that's the next logical step in this story. It's serial killer September. You knew it had to start at some point. My allergies are killing me right now. I don't know what's wrong with me. Well, I do know what's wrong with me. I just said it's my allergies. I'm very sorry. This is not the best episode, but bear with me. All right. <clears throat> anyway, um, so over the next three years, just kind of doing this with Elmer and David, uh, the three killed at least 28 people in three years. That's insane. And their process was pretty simple. David and Elmer would lure other teenagers in the neighborhood to Dean's house with the promise of free candy, drugs, and just an overall good time. And then Dean would in turn pay Elmer and David with cash, drugs, or anything else they really wanted. Um, When the unsuspecting victims arrive, Dean would then strip them naked and then tie them either to his bed or a large piece of plywood that he had propped up against the wall in his bedroom. And he would just then torture his victims for the next several days before either choking them to death or shooting them with a 22 caliber pistol. Um, one of his torture methods actually involved inserting a glass rod into his victim's urethra and then snapping it. And <laughs> that's, oh, I stopped researching after that because I, I there's nothing left for, for that's, ooh, that is just a cringy thing to think about that's just it's not, it's not fun um <clears throat> after after his victims were dead i'm just going to try to move on after that um after his victims were dead he then stuffed them into plastic bags and then just buried them in various locations around the greater houston area 
Um, on August 7th, 1973, Elmer invited 19-year-old Timothy Curley to a party at Dean's house. And that night, the group sniffed paint, drank beer for a few hours before deciding to leave to go grab some sandwiches. While Dean stayed behind, the boys drove back to Elmer's house where they found 15-year-old Rhonda Williams outside crying after she had gotten beaten by her drunk father. Elmer convinced Rhonda to go back with him and Curly, you know, go back to Dean's house where they could all just have a good time. When the trio arrived, Dean was outraged that Elmer had brought a girl back because, I, like, Dean was pretty much just strictly all about raping and killing boys. And when Elmer explained the situation, Dean seemed to calm down a bit and left the, and let the three kids sniff more paint, drink some more beer, smoke some weed. And two, about two hours later, all three of the kids had passed out. Well, at some point in the night, Elmer awoke to find Dean handcuffing him and taping his mouth shut. He looked over and saw that Rhonda and Curly had already been bound with rope. And when Dean saw that Elmer was awake... He rolled him to, onto his back and told Elmer that he planned to kill all three of them, which you know was probably pretty obvious, but also just kind of the thing that the villain in the story says for dramatic effect. You know, it's you know, whatever. You didn't really need to know that. It's pretty obvious from all the cues. You know, you're tied up. Your mouth's taped shut. This guy's already killed, you know, close to 30 people already. Obviously, he's about to kill all of you. Anyway. After kicking Rhonda in the chest, Dean dragged Elmer to the kitchen and pressed a gun to his stomach. Elmer pleaded with Dean to just calm down and promised to never bring another girl to his house again. He also promised to bring even more teenage boys for Dean to torture and kill. And that was enough to get Dean to untie Elmer. And then the two dragged the other two bodies to Dean's bedroom where they tied them up to opposite sides of Dean's plywood torture board. Um, Dean handed Elmer a knife and ordered him to cut away Rhonda's clothes while Dean just began turning Curly's butt into a model of the Japanese flag. Just, that's a nice little visual for you. I, I have a way with words sometimes. Um, you know, and so while all of that's going on, like Rhonda looks at Elmer and she's like, is this for real? And, you know, just. Because at that point, you're probably wishing, you know, if you're Rhonda, you're probably wishing you just stayed home and let your dad beat you some more. I mean, that's obviously better than being tied to a wooden plywood torture board and about to get raped and then seeing some other guy rape a, rape a dude. Yeah. Anyway, um, you know, and, and Elmer is just like, yes, this is for real. Well, are you going to do anything about it? She asked. And that was, for some reason, that was probably the first time Elmer actually thought about doing something about it. And he, and, and that's exactly what he did. He turned around, grabbed Dean's pistol, pointed it at Dean, and he's like, you've gone far enough, Dean. Like, it's really bad movie dialogue, but this is apparently what happened. And Dean turned around and challenged Elmer to shoot him. And so he did, which... You know, if we're being honest, not not normally how some of these stories goes. Usually, you know, you kind of expect Elmer to just kind of freeze and then Dean takes advantage and lunges and grabs the gun. And now everybody's in trouble again. But no, Elmer shoots Dean um, right in the forehead. So great aim on this kid, which I mean, it's Texas. They can all shoot. Um, but this is this is where the story turns into like every horror movie ever. Dean lurched forward and kept moving closer to him. Elmer shot him two more times, hitting Dean in the shoulder, you know, before Dean started stumbling backwards and, and left the room before collapsing in the hallway and dying. His naked body just kind of doubled over on the wall with blood splatters. You can see the actual, you can see there are pictures online where you can see uh, Dean's dead naked body. I, I wouldn't look it up. It's weird. Um, 
Elmer called the police and told them everything that had happened over the last three years. And although police were kind of skeptical at first, I mean, I, you know, can you blame them? Uh, Elmer led them to several bodies that had been dumped by Dean. Um, David, uh, who had actually taken the night off, um, was arrested and tried with Elmer for their roles in the killings and this whole creepy white boy sex ring that they had kind of constructed. Um, Elmer ended up being sentenced to 594 years in prison on six murder charges because, you know, I guess Texas believes that murderers are immortal. Uh, David was sentenced to life in prison for one murder charge. Um, and what's, what's crazy about this is like, no one really knows why Dean started molesting and killing teenage boys. Um, you know, it just kind of started happening. Um, you know, Elmer and David didn't really have an explanation for it. They just kind of got brought into it and they started this weird, you know, <laughs> underground, you know, torture ring, I guess. And I, you know, I, Dean, I guess never really explained it to him. And then because Dean died, he didn't have a chance to really explain himself, which, you know, is unfortunate. You know, usually you get some sort of explanation from serial killers as we'll see later on. But yeah, that that's kind of a, a, a weird ending to the story. You know, the, the evil guy got shot and died and then his accomplices got sent to prison forever for it. So that's it. That's the story of the Candyman. Uh, I apologize for my sniffles and my voice and my allergies. I'm glad you glad you stuck with me through that one. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Let, let's see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, not to beat a dead horse, but I should probably look into getting some sort of different allergy medication. Um, it's, it's getting ridiculous. Uh, n- number two, uh, Dean Coral is probably the reason uh, why there's a weird stigma around not taking candy from strangers or whatever that saying is, um, because that's exactly what he did. He offered candy to little boys and then they ended up tortured and dead. Uh, number three, uh, no one knows why Dean Coral started the way you know, started doing what he did. Um, was he angry about being gay? Did, was he ashamed of being gay? That's what most psychologists probably believe. Um, but yeah, we will unfortunately never know. Next week on Our Weird World, we continue Serial Killer September with everyone's favorite murder clown, John Wayne Gacy. Uh, it's a big story. There's a lot of lot of elements to it. And uh, the, the whole clown bit is really just one small facet of, of the story. So uh, strap in for that one. Thank you for listening. Tell all your friends. Maybe not about this episode, but you know ones where I'm not as sniffly and gross but uh yeah just keep it weird (laughs) (laughs) got it got it
Ah, oh, whew, ah, that was a big one.